The other day, we had a funeral here at St Barnabas, uh, which I had the honour of participating and leading along with Jenny. And after the service, I came across here to Fendall Hall to see the fantastic work being done by our funeral catering team just before the crowds of mourners arrived. I'll be honest, I was desperate for a cup of tea, which I'm very glad to say I was provided. Well, I recalled this moment of refreshment in my busy week as I was preparing for this morning's message, which is its own story, of course, of refreshment. At one level, the gospel reading, the epic gospel reading, is about a woman drawing water from a well because she is thirsty. She had walked some distance, it's the hottest time of the day, and she needed a drink. We could dwell on why she came at noon and not later, why she came alone and not with friends, why she had five husbands and all the other details in the story that capture our attention. I do think, however, it's worth pausing on the fact that she is a Samaritan. This is not the only time Jesus uses Samaritans to make a point, and quite a sharp point at that. His other, perhaps better known example, of course, is the story of the Good Samaritan. For Jesus' audience, Samaritan was a term both odious and sinister. Samaritans were a hated national enemy and bitterly despised. They were seen as mixed race, the result of deportations and importations of population at a time of war with Assyria way back in 7 BC. So this animosity was deep-seated, long-standing, deeply ingrained. So underline how much animosity there was between Samaritans and Jews, then highlight it, then make it bigger, then drench it in history, in story, and in narrative, put the deepest dividing lines down, and you get, even then, only an inkling of the hatred between those two groups and that a Samaritan was held in. And in this story, moreover, different to that of the Good Samaritan, this is a Samaritan woman, and what's more, a Samaritan woman alone, who'd been married multiple times, perhaps because of widowhood or something else we don't know. But in any event, it's ostracization upon condemnation, upon suspicion, upon division. And there's Jesus talking to her. We get how unusual, indeed, how socially unacceptable this was. By the disciples' reaction, who it would appear, mutter upon themselves about Jesus' outrageous behavior. And they don't once speak to the woman, but they do spend quite a lot of time speaking about her. They had no ounce of compassion for her situation, let alone her thirst. And they were deaf to Jesus' wider appeal about food and about drink and indeed blind to the further journey ahead of him, which will take him to the cross. For a group of people that had been with Jesus for days on end, for at least three years, and who probably thought they had some sense of this teacher, they really had no idea at all. And when we listen to this story, I think we want to put ourselves in the shoes of the Samaritan woman. 
as one's yearning too for that company, compassion and calling of Jesus. As ones who likewise want to know, even if it might surprise us, that Jesus knows everything we've ever done and yet doesn't walk away. As ones who quench for that living water instead of the poor substitutes that we use every day to fill our spirits and bring solace to our souls. To be beloved, to be cherished, to flourish is not to drink from mere puddles or stagnant ponds, but from the life-giving water that comes through knowing Christ. And that was the experience of the woman at the well. But I think sometimes we are more likely, if we're honest, to put ourselves in the company of the disciples, who, invited to participate in Jesus' upside-down values, instead prefer the comfort and the company of people just like us. Jesus, in this encounter with a Samaritan woman, is inviting us to show compassion, and compassion without judgment. Compassion is always costly. It's always uncomfortable. It always says that someone is worthy of our compassion because they are worthy of Christ's. It always demands of us a response. It requires of us to break down barriers, to reach across divides, to listen to those with whom we might profoundly disagree, and as one, drink together from the deep, profoundly generous, deeply compassionate, living water that we find in Christ. So where might we find that very simple but life-changing act of generosity that is a cup of water? It's compassion without fanfare, without bells on, without an audience. It's compassion that's nourishing and nurturing, restorative and recuperative, healing and whole. It's compassion that takes place for a woman full of burdens and heartache at a time of isolation and shame by a man full of truth, hope and love. How might we respond to this encounter with Christ? How might we accept that water from Christ? And how might we give water to those around us who we know are thirsty, who we know are looking for healing, who we know will find their peace when they find their identity in Christ? Perhaps our act of generosity is as simple as what we have on the altar today, a glass of water. And perhaps in that act, we introduce people to the one from whom all compassion and goodness and generosity flows. Perhaps in that introduction, we invite those around us, we invite even ourselves, to know that in Christ we are made alive and are set free. It's generous compassion that we're drawn to in this gospel story. And like the living water to which Jesus refers, this generous compassion that we find in his actions, in the grand work of God, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that never runs dry. Let me tell you a story. There was a man called Albert Osborne. Growing up, he went to many different schools and at 13, got a job sweeping floors and washing bottles. 
It was at a youth camp that he became a Christian and ultimately followed his parents into service in the Salvation Army, which was the beginning of a distinguished career, including a posting here in New Zealand and ultimately as the sixth general of the Salvation Army. And he lived a long life into his 80s. During his first posting, he learned that his closest friend had died of cholera. His first wife died in 1942. Two years later, he married again. The next year, she too was dead. It was in all this that he was able to write some of the great hymns of the church. And any hymnal of the Salvation Army will find many written by him, including this one with which we'll conclude. The well is deep, and I require a draught of the water of life, but none can quench my soul's desire for a draught of the water of life. Till one draws near who the cry will heed, helper of all in their time of need, and I believing find indeed that Christ is the water of life. May that be our prayer as well. Amen.